Welcome, welcome everybody back to a new episode of the Edel Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It is all on the table. I'm your new host, Rohan Patel, and joining me today are regular co-hosts on this show, um, Cynthia Lee, Joel Garcia, Piper Coiner, and Natalia Owen. How are y'all doing? Good. Good. Quarantine. Quarantine. Yep. Still, still raging on. I feel like I see so many people out and about. I've been going out more often than before. I that is true, but I still am in like a little. I still. I I don't know now because like now that I have the option to go out and I just don't. I feel like I'm just (laughs) being lazy instead of like being trapped, which made me feel a bit better about like my indoor living habits, but. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like like now I don't actively think about going, like doing things. It's like, oh, I'll just stay inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like the flow of life like that. Yeah. Um, and now there's this agency, you know, like it's I'm not forced to stay inside. I'm willingly staying inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm protecting the health of others. Exactly. It's an active choice. You can feel good about taking control of your life, Joel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a question for everybody before we get started. If you could describe your week in one movie, what would it be? Oh, oh God. What movie is like my week? And I'll, I'll go with Tenet because like I've been all over the place and it's too action packed and too overwhelming and I just need to calm down now. So, so if you, if your, if your past week was like Tenet, then where is your queer relationship with Robert Pattinson and or John David Washington? My relationship with them is that they can call me. They know that they have my number <laughs> and I already put myself out there not to them to be safe. <laughs> well, I thought you said Ted, like the teddy bear movie. I was just like, okay, <laughs> interesting choice. What's a movie about moving places? That's me. <laughs> and it goes west over that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ingrid goes west. <laughs> Am I stalking an influencer? Are you? I mean, we don't know. <laughs> Definitely not. There, I don't think there's influencers in Seattle. Not that I'm aware of. Oh, no, there are. Every marketing class will amply point out there are <laughs> many micro-influencers and they will all come and talk to you. Micro-influencers. I've never heard of micro-influencers. make minimum wage, you know? Like. <laughs> huh. Maybe like Blue Velvet without like any murder or like erotic stuff going on. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, just just the suburbs because I was home. So. Um, Fair enough. So a sedated Blue Velvet is your yeah. choice. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else have an answer? I think I could stick with the Robert Pattinson theme and go The Lighthouse. I mean, this what week. <laughs> well, let me explain. No, let me explain. Okay, okay. <laughs> Very, you know, light lighthouse. Like, I, there was a point where I was by an ocean on a beach. It was a pretty stressful week. I didn't really understand what was going on most of the time. And, you know, I always enjoy the presence of Willem Dafoe. So that's just a constant. All that answer. And you, but, but you are alive. So the end yes. does not end up the same. Important. So. Yeah. Important caveat, yeah. Piper, Cynthia, did, you have, did, you, did you happen to come up with an answer at all? Yeah. This is like requiring a lot of introspection. I'm (laughs) 
very lost. I don't know. Like I, I was at home Monday and Tuesday, and then I came back to my apartment in Seattle Wednesday morning. So it feels like the week's been split in two, oddly enough. But I would say like Laclise. I just feel like Monica Vitti, like really like existential. And but it's also kind of like she's off doing her own thing, but then she's distracted by hot men and like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? And hot men in your life, yeah, nice, yeah, uh huh. Sweet. Well, hopefully, like the, the hot men situation like ends up slightly better, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> better yeah. than the law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are we gonna say Ingrid goes west for you, or did you find another? Oh my god, I. <laughs> I'm already in the West Coast, so I'm not going west per se. Actually, um... like probably like slightly more east. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. I guess like Toy Story three, like Andy growing up and doing something big and existential. I feel like me moving into this apartment is very big and existential. Uh, I sobbed when I saw that, and I was like only nine years old. Like I don't know. I just had a lot of stuffed animals when I was a kid. Still do, and like the thought of like giving them to some kid, some rando. I was like <laughs> so upset by that plot line. <laughs> still am. <laughs> Yeah, so as many of you might know from the calendar, we are in summer right now, so there's no academic school year going on, no club meetings. However, while we are away, we are providing content in the form of trilogies. So a couple of weeks ago, we uh, started doing a Wes Anderson trilogy. We just got done with our Ghibli trilogy, and now after considerable deliberation in a very weird electoral vote, <laughs> um, we have decided to go into the works of Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. So we're going to start off, we're going to do this in chronological order over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to start off with their 1946 film, A Matter of Life and Death. For any UW students listening, you can find this film through the UW uh, uh, library, which is extremely helpful because this is not available on literally any online streaming platform to rent or like to stream for free if you have a subscription to anything. Hey, or support your local video stores. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Scare, scarecrows out there. Um, so about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, everybody excited to get going with this trilogy? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. So before we go into any of our thoughts on the film, I thought this would be a good opportunity to sort of talk about uh, the plot of the film. So I'm gonna literally pull up Wikipedia here. And I think Wikipedia gives a really solid entry and I'm not gonna butcher this. Um, so I'll just loosely go off of what it's saying. Are you so, gonna read the whole plot synopsis from Wikipedia? <laughs> not the whole thing, just like bullet points from like every paragraph. Okay, so we got Peter Carter. He's a squadron fighting leader, and he's um, about to crash land in the English Channel after a bombing in Germany during the World War II. He does not have a parachute, and for a few minutes, he converses with June, who is a radio operator from America that is at a UA USAAF base in England. He jumps out thinking that this is his, he's about to die, and incidentally, he does not. And the reason not is because the angel, or the guide as they call from heaven in this film, um, misses him in the fog. And so the guy does not send him to heaven and he miraculously ends up living and washes up on the English shore. When that happens, Peter meets June who was the radio operator and they fell in love. 
And so from there, they began a love story. And meanwhile, the angels in heaven tried to reclaim Peter and take him back to heaven. He appeals this process, saying that this, this is unfair because he's just fallen in love with these extra hours. They, there's a whole incident with the, with the doctor that helps diagnose him with a brain disorder. And he goes into surgery to get this fixed. So at the same time, the trial begins to determine whether Peter or not can be allowed to return to earth or to heaven. They go through a big appeal. Um, his lawyer, incidentally, is that doctor that diagnosed him because that doctor died in a motorcycle crash. There is a trial. And in the end, Peter is able to prove that he loves June and, and in the most Hollywood 40s era tearjerker ending, he ends up getting to stay with the person he loves. And that's pretty much how it goes. So I um, should hold on. I should have done that when I was giving plot synopsis. <laughs> you, just having Wikipedia on the side and going through. That was yeah. cool. Okay, good. I'm glad I didn't get through that too <laughs> stammering. Um, I felt like I got lost somewhere in the middle there, but it's not as complicated as I think it is. Anyways. So that's a plot synopsis. So I want to ask before we get into the film itself, who here has watched A. Powell and Pressburger film before? Piper, you have, right? This was the only one that I'd seen before, so. The only one, okay. Anybody else seen a Powell and Pressburger film? Yeah, I've seen The Red Shoes, but that's it. Red Shoes? Cynthia nope. Joel? Nope. I, nope. I literally voted for them because it was finally a motivator, like a forced motivator to watch their films. I've like been meaning to watch The Red Shoes for God knows how long and it never happened. Yes, yes. I'm excited for that too. Uh, I've always, I only knew Powell and Pressburger because Pressburger is like an awesome name to me. Like it feels like, <laughs> you know, a solid name that I like to say in my head. I don't know why, but that's like literally the only reason why. Anyway, I didn't know that much about them either going in. So I wanted to ask, what was everybody's expectation of how this film may go based off of what you knew beforehand? Well, I definitely was expecting the color. Like I knew that was kind of their hallmark was like the beautiful Technicolor and the really great compositions and I don't know, it just felt really like velvety, something you just don't see in that same time period. Like, the, I mean, the only thing I could think of was like The Wizard of Oz, I don't know, or other kind of like musicals like that, like really lush, but still like this British production is just so different from anything else. I agree. Like I, I knew, I saw like one snapshot from Black Narcissus and I knew they did color film, but I didn't know like, this is a 1946 film and predominantly things are still black and white so I was surprised too like it didn't it felt more like something out of the 60s just in terms of the technical aspect like I think it's shot really really beautifully given that color wasn't necessarily the primary mode of you know color before or during this time so I thought that was also really really impressive. Yeah it was kind of like a reverse Wizard of Oz where you have kind of the other world in black and white and then you have the actual world in Technicolor. So that was interesting, but I was expecting just from watching the red shoes. Well, I wouldn't say I was expecting, I wasn't surprised by the kind of surrealist surrealism within the film because there's kind of, there's definitely elements of that in the red shoes. Yeah. I think as in the red shoes, they, it worked really well within the movie and it's really nice. Yeah. Honestly, I don't, I didn't, I didn't know much about them other than the red shoes has been like you know as Piper said like the Technicolor like the beauty of the cinematography that was like my 
knowledge of them um as a filmmaker duo i actually like didn't know they existed until like i saw on some list the life in a colonel blimp is that what it's called yeah yeah um and i was like that's a funny movie title name and then i looked it up and i was like oh who are these people and then i looked them up even more that's kind of how far i went and then i was just like okay i don't want like anything spoiled about them i just want to see what they're they are or like what movies they've created and like I was like very surprised by kind of the absurdity and the surrealism Mm -hmm. that they were working in in terms of this film. Joel what about you? You come in with any expectations? I was also like pretty blind other than like yeah the Technicolor and I figured it would be funny and there was there was some solid humor so that expectation was met but outside of that yeah I mean I'd like heard their name and knew of the red shoes. So like basically the same boat as Cynthia, so. Yeah, yeah, and returning back to your point, Cynthia, I I was surprised by the surrealism and sort of how far beyond what I expected them, like in terms of like, it holds up really visually well in terms of like the design of everything, like the stairs, the sort of Coliseum like judgments Mm -hmm. trial place is really cool. It's all really surreal and super inventive. And I, I definitely was super unexpected to me. Like I thought it was going to be much more intimate in terms of its scope, but it, it ended up feeling a lot bigger. And I think it set it apart from definitely films of that era that I've seen. Also, side note, I also knew Paul Pressburger because Thelma Schoonmaker is married to one of them. I forgot who though. Yeah, I saw, I was looking up the criteria and I think he, I think um, Schoonmaker was Powell's widow. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's wild. Younger than him. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I like googled Thelma Schumacher and then I saw that and I was like, oh, cool, power couple. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that's shocking. So right off the gate, you know, any any thoughts on sort of how you felt like immediately after finishing the film? Heartwarming. <laughs> and like it's like as you mentioned, it has like this really cheesy Hollywood cliche ending that could like totally be seen as like oh this is too much but it works so well in a very earnest way and then if you like also put the film into the context in which it came out which was like near World War II it's interesting to see how it could be seen kind of as this like antidote in a way. Yeah I think that the sort of the 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 it's a common thing to see like oh love is the answer to to all the all the sadness in the world but like it's it sort of yeah I agree like it works and I think it would especially makes sense given how dark and devastating it must have been during the time of World War II when they were like writing and directing and making this film coming out of that I think uh, in terms of we talked about escapism at the movies and I think definitely this movie it holds up well now but I, I can imagine back then sort of like a little breath of fresh air that sort of ties it to the present but also like gives a nice warming message about like what 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 the true meaning of humanity is you know and it's beautiful yeah i it's one of those films to me that's like so life-affirming and heartwarming that like i can totally forgive the cheesiness like all the like american versus british culture things it just like it it energy and exuberance just like spills out of it it feels like so like i was smiling the whole time you know even even in the very sad parts where like frank gets in a car crash or motorcycle accident i was like oh i don't know i it it yeah <laughs> you smiled at the car crash that was kind of sad <laughs> oh my god <laughs> 
I'm trying to find a good example. I was, I was just like, uh, like what Natalia said earlier, like actual real life is in technicolor and then like heaven is in black and white. And they're kind of saying like, enjoy your life while you can choose life, choose love. And that's so wonderful. And I just kept comparing it in my mind to like, it's a wonderful life. And although, you know, that's also like a five-star film for me, like it's, it's more, it's a lot more mellow and like less campy and less exuberant. And this is, this is really very similar, but like a, a lot better in some ways. Plus the beginning um, when they're like in space, you know, and they're like yeah. talking about like, that's the practically the exact same beginnings. It's a wonderful life. That's so weird. Like only a year apart, they must've had a thing with like, let's start our movie in space. <laughs> I, that, that was a really strange beginning to me. It's like setting it in like this, this grand scope, like going back to the scope thing, like sort of establishing the world as something like huge in, in, in many respects is sort of contradictory to sort of the scope of like most Hollywood films, which is like, you have a certain set of characters, you're in this place, but like you see so many faces in this film. Mm -hmm. um, and faces I think are a really important part in sort of how they direct everything that I thought it sort of expanded the world and is sort of not meant, even though there's like an American versus England debate, which I thought was great, and we can probably get back to it, it later. But I think it, I think the, the the message and the joy is meant to sort of go beyond just England and America and that sort of Western centric audience. Yeah, it's it's a very optimistic movie. Like David Nivens or Peter, that character alone, he's just so kind of ambitious, ambitious and optimistic throughout the whole movie that it just adds to the exuberance that Piper was talking about and just kind of keeps it light just the fact that he doesn't give up even though he you know might think that he's going crazy he's like no 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 this is exactly what's happening I know what I need to do I also I mean I love that they started out in space because it kind of like allows for like a juxtaposition juxtaposition of like the intimacy of life and it kind of reaffirms that whole thing of like oh life is beautiful life is so small and joyous um in the grander scheme of things and it, it makes the earnestness work more I think although you kind of like forget about it <laughs> halfway yeah. through but still in like in, in thinking about it again yeah I mean totally and it comes back to too, like in the when they're zooming out from the from the Coliseum thing like it zooms out and then you realize it's a galaxy all on its own and then there's like the staircase and you're like oh so we go beyond this it's like it's sort of a, like that reminder from kind of cool two little bookends there yeah no definitely like a super joyful feeling after finishing because like yeah it's totally like life affirming and yeah even when frank dies in the car crash like like he's still like it's kind of like oh shit now he's gonna be the lawyer like cool yeah, um, Peter, Peter. I'll, yeah i'll yeah. defend you piper i was you could smile because it's like a technical marvel <laughs> yeah that whole sequence <laughs> yeah, yeah i i i love i love how he forsake plato for like this doctor from england <laughs> And I'm like, honestly, what a move. It's interesting because I, I think that opening also like is supposed to, for me, it, it was actually, I had a difficult time sort of grasping the love relationship between Union and Peter. I don't know if this was true for anybody else, but like initially they met in this like very small like moment and they supposedly fell in love. And like for me, like I had a hard time, like the film got to me eventually, but it took, I think, a bit longer for me. To, to buy into that relationship. I don't know if anybody else had that same experience, but I was just like, you fell in love and then like, like is it the death thing that like made it more romantic? Is it like, 
oh, you're a stranger and I can confess stuff to you. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else had thoughts about that, but I, I kind of had a hard time with that relationship initially. Yeah, I think it was like, it was a small, but it was a really intense moment, you know? Like, I mean, that moment that they were talking to each other was literally, you know, this is going to be cheesy to say, but a matter of life and death, you know? <laughs> I'm just going to say it. So they were kind of just on the edge of, those two worlds so I feel like you know maybe like an otherworldly power kind of helped their love in some way but yeah I can kind of see where it's a little bit unbelievable where they kind of just meet right after and June's like oh you're you're alive that's great well let's just fall in love and then stay together so I could see why that's a little bit a little bit unbelievable I loved that beginning I thought it was very intense and overwhelming, especially because it's like this guy has accepted kind of death, but he's at that moment, like he doesn't know he's going to survive. But at that moment, he's like, I'm just going to die anyway. But let me like hold on to the last connection that I have with someone, whether that be a voice, just like conversing with them, um, just to like ensure to himself, like there are people out there who are fighting for dying for in a sense. Um, I don't know. I it, it it I thought it was very romantic and cute, and it really helped set like it made it believable for me of just like yeah they they would fall in love because it's like trauma bonding. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and also like both of them are like super convincing in their performances of like the girl being just so panicky, but like eventually calming down because of his own demeanor. And him just being like, yeah, I'm accepting. I'm going to just jump without a parachute. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I do agree. Like that moment and that decision sort of did resonate with me. Yeah, there's like a little mini arc that's happening in that conversation in a sense where they both kind of like talk each other down mm-hmm. um, from like the really high, high like negativity that, or not, they weren't negative, but like the high intense emotions into something more loving and intimate yeah I love that one exchange where like he asks her name and then he's like are you in love with anybody and then he's like no no don't tell me and then she says like I could love a man like you and that got to me so much like she it feels like she can see his character and his soul just by like talking him through his death that's so beautiful (laughs) and and I think like the improbability of it like adds to the beauty and the charm like I guess that's why I love the young girls of Rochefort because it's like so silly like crazy coincidences but it, it all adds up like it I don't know also it's just like I think the way they like shot that whole plane it's like so gross and scary like the fire is so intense and I was just like okay I rather focus my attention on this very cute meet cute conversation and and then in the midst of the absurd you can cultivate something so minute and intimate I don't know that juxtaposition just really works for me personally yeah and I thought it was like really effective just in terms of like establishing like Peter's like personality like as a character how like yeah like this is heavy juxtaposition of like him like being surrounded like by bodies in a burning plane and then he still has time to or wait are you pretty though yeah yeah i i definitely i think the moment i don't know maybe this was late the moment like i i I realized sort of i felt for it was sort of the tear on the rose 
Um, and for me, like, like that's probably the image that's gonna last with me. Like, not even the stairs or anything. It's the tear on the rose. For me, like, it's it's such a beautiful like thing because like part of part part of it's like, oh, the rose kind of represents her. It's such a beautiful small image, and it's like this is evidence for the love. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's totally love, and I believe it. And so that's that's where it got me for sure. So speaking of the trial. I wanted to, I did want to talk about the sort of American versus England debate that they had and sort of like, for me, it was really weird because like it, it, it brings up like a whole different conversation from like the love story and, so, and sort of like how you judge somebody like based off of their past, whose past you're really judging it on and stuff like that. And also like it has really interesting implications because for me, like I, when I was listening to like the American guy, like like yell, yelling at the, at this uh, at the English for like oh look at all the countries you've done wrong look how what you did with your power and it's like like 60 years later it's like you can kind of yell at the America for doing the exact same thing which I found really hilarious and I'm not sure if they have the foresight about that or not because like America was still a power house relatively industrially in the world but yeah I don't know what what, what did you guys think about that that trial um and how that all went about. I think I agree with you of like, I don't know what the effect that had in the 40s, but I think it became funnier because of now and just like the, I mean, I don't know what the view of America was in the 40s by like foreign countries, but like the view of America now is like, nah, you suck. You think you're like so much better than everyone else, but you're not type of deal and yeah it just made it like 10 times more funnier where it's like both sides are presenting like both sides are presenting like arguments that are almost kind of the same just in umbrellaed in a different nationality but both like nations have done so much harm <laughs> to the world and I thought it was funny whether in I don't think I don't know if it was intentional in the 40s to for that but at least for Britain it probably was but I don't know about its view on America but it just gets amplified because yeah America sucks controversial statements here <laughs> you don't love the podcast yeah no I mean it definitely is interesting because it felt like there's like some self-awareness there which like sort of aided in my like buying into the sappiness of the film too just because of like how it doesn't really take like these giant socio-political issues like that seriously so I think like the presentation of that of yeah like displaying like all these like national atrocities like definitely aids but like from the comedic perspective I don't know that always like is really effective for me about like discussing like giant issues from comedy but yeah like even then like, I can imagine the like international perspective on America was like already pretty rough like considering like colonization of like the Philippines Mexico etc Native American treatment I mean like it could go on so yeah like there, there had to have been like some self-awareness in terms of discussing both countries it's just like disgusting treatment towards like every other population in the on the planet so yeah but the film does seem a little harder on britain mm -hmm. right so just a bit but like well it is their country you know yeah true, true. <laughs> yeah probably more in tune to its faults <laughs> that is true i also one, one thing that i wanted to mention was like about the film just generally as well um was that i think it was paced like really fast like, not fast in a bad way like it was really well paced like 
it felt like I was watching it, I was watching like I, I checked the time and it was like 20 minutes and I checked the time again and it's like an hour and you only have like 30 minutes left I'm like oh my gosh so it was interesting because I, I I read a bit about the the the, the duo and, it, and it, from from what the reliable people at Wikipedia tell us is that Pressburger it, it seemed to be like a divide and conquer thing where like Pressburger would write and edit kind of edit the films and like Powell would direct it it wasn't necessarily collaborative so I don't know I just found that really really interesting I don't know what your experience was like the film like in terms of editing or not editing but pacing yeah I mean I think yeah it's also interesting because like the film does feel like fairly quick and then like the like the whole like court scene is like a significant portion of the film and then like the discussion of like each respective country also takes up like a bit of time just in terms of the deliberation. So like, I don't know, the thoughts sort of teetering off, but yeah, like the, the focus on like, sort of like gearing, I guess, or like trying to like mend like possible like uh, relations, I think is like definitely felt by just by placing emphasis on like that discussion over, despite like it, like centrally it's about like love and coexistence, but then like actually addressing it in a pointed manner, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think it felt, like fast paced or well paced because there were so many different it was switching between different characters and different realms so that you know literally you had different sets almost every five minutes so it didn't you didn't have a chance to kind of get bored in one situation so yeah that's really what made it feel fast paced for me or well paced like I didn't feel it was rushed but I felt that I never really got bored with it. Plus it's like dealing with like, like death is so absurd, life is so absurd. So like explaining kind of like the, like a certain imagined process of death, like, oh, it's this weird transactional world where like someone can, determines how long you get to live kind of thing. Kind of that just aspect kind of piques the curiosity in a way that allows you to kind of like invest more deeply I guess in a way like I mean it's death like who doesn't think about death and life and like to have like a film kind of be like okay so this is how we think death operates and then kind of buying into that I think also helps just the absurdity in general I think I mean I think it is an acquired taste to like like things that are like super kind of absurd I think this like I think this film is so crazy in like what it's trying to tackle and how it does visually that for me personally, it's just like bewilderment and amazement just every second that it it makes it feel like super well paced. Yeah, I agree. I think the, I think the sort of absurdity of like how you sort of calculate death, I don't know, for me, like, especially coming from a religious background, it's like, you have to consider every action you're doing in order to sort of see like, oh, how is this going to affect the person next to me? If I do this, you know, in my mind, it, I used to be like, oh, then, well, karma's going to get me. And the next, and the reason the Clippers will lose game three is because I threw away half a sandwich. And sort of that ridiculous sort of calculation of life, I think they really captured that well. And I really did appreciate that they sort of made it a bit less personal and more like an objective thing. And it felt really, really wild. I, I agree. Like the wild is probably the best way to be described it is just like how ins- uh, imaginative Presper's, you know, story is. And I think this has like a lot of influence on like so many films that after it that have come. Like, I think that that's really interesting as well. Side tangent, Rohan, the Clippers are winning. It's a miracle. 
And that's because I finished my sandwich this time. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> no, but back to influences. I mean, Piper mentioned it in our top 10 pod. Um, but like soul totally rips this shit off. <laughs> yeah, like the Terry is literally like the the guide who, by the way, the guide and his overt Frenchness is just <laughs> great. Loved it. Loved it. Um, he's actually English. Is he English? <laughs> yeah. I thought it was French. Oh my gosh. Oh no, like the actor's English. Oh, the actor's English. Oh, okay. Yeah. The actor's English and wanted to play Peter, the role Peter. I did <laughs> And see then Colin Pressburger were like, no, we want David Niven. <laughs> <laughs> Another film, I think if anybody likes this sort of film, uh, Defending Your Life by Albert Albert the Albert Brooks one, I think definitely has like it's it's literally him on trial for his life as well. And sort of the, the concepts I think has been iterated a number of times. I can't point to anything beyond soul and that because those were like the two obvious ones that I've watched in recent memory, but I know like a, this definitely like the sort of concept of like I mean the good place like the tv series also definitely like there's the calculation of death is another big thing in that so I think it has and to my knowledge there's nothing like this before 1946 so I think it was really interesting and in how influential and original it sort of abstraction was. yeah I also like the low fantasy aspect of like like when they're like observing like real life happening and everything pauses and they're able to like dance around that scene and it's like a scene within a scene is something that happens in Celine and Julie go boating which again selling this movie but uh <laughs> yeah no like I just like that sort of thing I just found like really interesting and that there it's I don't know like seeing it like that sort of attempt every time I'm just like wow like so meta so like brave I don't know yeah, and then the other thing I think that stood out to me in terms of the thematic content, I think we touched upon this a bit, was sort of positioning it in the wartime, and I think we talked about sort of the escapism, but I also wanted to talk about sort of when the trial was going on, how the soldiers were there as well. Peter told his everybody to bail, and sort of he sacrificed and sort of the troops, ex- the expectation of him to die, not just by the angels, but by like the people around him. And so I, I don't know. I don't know if anybody had any thoughts about that, but I thought that was pretty interesting how like it's sort of your duty to die and sort of that institutional expectation by like putting your life on the line for your country. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it's interesting that that wasn't more a part of his trial, especially since pretty much everybody in the audience was related to the war somehow. So that kind of like unfair escape that he had from death, especially when compared to everybody else that he was leading and told and who he told to jump yeah it seems now that I think about it it didn't really factor into his trial at all so it is interesting to think about it doesn't seem like the movie says much about that it kind of focuses on the love that he found or kind of the like the new life that he found but I mean do you think that like his inherent status as a soldier and then the film being like well he deserves to live itself kind of does kind of proclaim that thematic not necessarily like anti-war, but definitely like these soldiers deserve more than just simply death, which is what a lot of them experienced in World War II. I, I, I think it's I think it's sort of the, the Hollywood, the, the, end, the ending you want, because I think it's implicit that that's sort of the, what's happening, because you start at the beginning of what's supposed to be his death, and that's how the film starts. It doesn't start before while he's doing it. So I, 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 I think the film sort of, I think, Pressburger and Powell explicitly make that message as a reversal of 
the expectation that you're a soldier, you're sent to put your life down for your country. And that's something that you see not just in American militarism, but like just militarism all over the world, just the nationalistic sort of thing. And I think the the message ultimately, it, the reason I think it's universal also is because it's a reversal of that specific message about nationalism and militarism. It's like if we choose to not, if we choose to recognize the love in the world, it's like the people that deserve to die may not necessarily need to die, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. Because I mean, yeah, like in heaven, they're all like divided by like country, nationality. But then, yeah, like ultimately the message is like, well, we can, you know, bridge all these gaps through love. And that's, you know, what makes us human and connects us all. Which, like, I mean, sad people are like, fuck, I bought into it. So, hey. <laughs> I think we all bought into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the visual aspects of these this movie? It is sets. insane. There were so many shots, sets set pieces the holes in the ceiling like kind yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Yeah. like there were so many times in this movie where i was like wow i wish i could like screenshot and enlarge this into like a poster or something oh like, totally yeah so incredible like the the shot you mentioned natalia the holes that one is like mm-hmm. yeah, that one came on screen i was like what ah. yeah and, and it even and then it being in black and white and it also being able to accentuate kind of like the texture of that is incredible because some films like when they oscillate between black and white it's like the black and white is neglected but I guess in the 40s it wouldn't be because it's like the only way they could film other than Technicolor but that and then another one is like when we first get into that afterworld space and then the woman who's like in charge of like having them sign their name to death um she like approaches uh peter's like commander person and then there's this one shot of like her face and then there's like a light coming behind her almost like kind of like a sunflower beamed like right behind her that was incredible yeah i, I appreciated the backlighting i also found like it, it's funny because the first time they're like the, the stairway there's like a little lobby I, 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 I thought that was pretty funny of like there's a little lobby where you like you can wait for your buddies to come join you or whatever you know there's a lobby to heaven and I, I think there's that, a lobby that... where the Americans can drink coke yeah. yes <laughs> coke, coke has bought its place in heaven um <laughs> according to Powell of Pressburger which you know for good or worse I guess yeah I, I thought that was I, thought hey, that I was, feel like when you're like dead you don't have to care about your health and so you can drink like as much soda without feeling guilty I feel like every time I drink a Dr. Pepper I'm like oh I drank a Dr. Pepper <laughs> yeah blood sugar is gonna like rise we can't have any sugar the rest of the day oh. but not like if I was like dead and didn't care about my blood sugar I'd be like yeah fuck yeah Dr. Pepper every day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I love how casual heaven was. Like the Americans showed up and they just said, What's up? Yeah. <laughs> As we died. Everywhere yeah. though. Yeah, exactly. So things don't <laughs> change, you know? Stay with your buddies. But no, yeah, like this, like so, like the entire fucking movie is like a technical marvel. Like, yeah, and like the set design of heaven with like heaven's court. Like it was just insane. Oh my god! Yeah, the the camp, the painting that they use as the backdrop is like, like it has like fire sparks. I mm-hmm. don't know how to describe it. Yeah, yeah. And then when it zooms out, like I thought that was like a 
I thought of Solaris, like how there's that like zoom out scene, and I thought like the moods there were very juxtaposed. And then even like some of like the visual editing tricks that they do, like when they freeze time, mm-hmm. or when I was talking to Piper and Joel about it yesterday, but when the first time um the commander comes and like takes his drink and it like snapped away, I was like, wait did the film like fuck up or something mm-hmm. like it's going to fuck up in the editing room or something is it because this movie's old which is like a bad bad point of view to have but like I guess I wasn't it goes back to the whole thing of like I wasn't expecting this film to be what it was and so I was like very bewildered and confused but in a good way about all those like editing things and even when they do the ping pong like when they're in ping pong and then the commander comes and then like he goes and checks on his friends and um, and June, and then they're like frozen. That was fun too, and incredible. And I bet it's like easy to do that now, but like in this movie was made in the forties. Like that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Or even like when they walk through the the surgery room door, like, that was perfectly seamless. Yeah. And that, that's the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it was so funny. Like we all collectively laughed when like. David Niven was like on the surgery table and then he like like <laughs> oh. arms. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think and, uh, like my favorite trick was the um the the guy throwing the the book down and sort of how seamless it was to go into the purse. Um, oh yeah. I, I think that was like a, a little nifty trick with like the camera movement and whatnot to make that seamless. Like just how this movie plays with all the different things film can do, like you can put sound in, you can take sound out, you can fast forward, you can rewind, you can freeze, you can do, create a heaven, you can have someone go through a door, you can create motion. Like this film is like the epitome of like all the different cool things that film can do. And it's so amazing to kind of see that in an actual entity. It's almost like an homage to like the power of film. And like, I don't think that's what, they were trying to do but like in doing so because you don't get a lot of films that do all these different types of things yeah I mean I don't I like to think that like when there's like a lot of different like technical aspects that like the directors are just having like a really fun time of like being like oh look what we can do with movies so if that was their attitude like uh, just also that with like the joy of the movie itself I don't know just adds to the happiness for me Okay, I'll prescribe to that, Joel. I'll there you go. Yeah. yeah, you know, they, just they you were... just gotta buy into the movie magic, you know. <laughs> it's always wonderful, though. Like for me, like I think the best filmmakers and the best movies often like don't like. I, I, they they use all the tools to the their extent. I, I agree here. Like production design, cinematography, it all comes together really well visually in this. But also, like I think not just like the fantastical like production design but everything in the world felt so realistic to me and i think that's one of the other powers is like the reason i think i can appreciate so much of what the heaven and sort of those sequences are it's because of how grounded sort of like the doctor's office like when that's actually happening like i buy into it even though like it doesn't remotely kind of resemble what a surgery looks like or like the dining room or, you know, the moments on the beach where it's just kind of beautiful and plain and sort of, I think I read somewhere like Powell like had to impress Burger, like they, you can see it, like they want to go into the fantastical, but like they cited in interviews, they tried 
so much to bring all those earth scenes to be as realistic as possible so that you can appreciate what the more fantastical elements are. And I think that's one of the other Marvels, I think probably from what I've read doesn't get to talked about often. So I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty nifty. I loved the the random side story of like the nurses and people um, staging a Midsummer's Night's Dream. Like they were like practicing that for three minutes or something. Like the, the one soldier who was like, the, the director was like, you have to do this. And he just does the same thing and barrels through the script. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have been like looking at the Wikipedia page and this is really interesting. It says that, um, Technicolor was like in high demand because the army was still making, you know, like like instructional films. So they had to wait a long time and the black and white scenes actually are shot in Technicolor, but like they didn't add the color in the printing process. Isn't that really cool? Yeah. I think that's why it looks kind of ethereal and like unique. I'm also glad that you mentioned the Midsummer Night's Dream kind of side part because um, for me, I liked also how the movie was, it, stayed ambiguous like you didn't really know like you were pretty sure that what Peter was talking about was actually happening but still there was some kind of like question as to well maybe he is just kind of dreaming this and even at the end when he talks to you know June he's like we won and she's like yeah we won you know she could still like it's it's kind of unclear whether she's actually confirming his story or she's just trying to like she's just happy in the moment which I think the like Midsummer Night's Dream side story is kind of a nod to the ambiguity that kind of remains to the end, which I think was interesting. Yeah, and I guess I do also like address like what is love? Is that just like a momentary feeling, or like what? How, how do you even define that? I like uh, what you were saying, Natalia. I like how you can read it both ways, and neither of them really contradict one another. And I think that's really unique for film. Like, you know, I, I kind of interpret it as like. This is all happening while he's on the operating table, like in his head. But like, they make it very clear, you know, with the chess book and all that, um, that like it very well could have happened. Oh, and then the explanation they give for him um, surviving is that like there was the fog and the little French guy like could see through the fog. Like they provide enough explanation that it could totally have happened if, you know, they did have an accountant up in heaven. And like the film is so earnest itself in its general themes itself. Like it doesn't like condemn you for like believing one way or the other. There's like its ability to be like, yeah, both sides seem totally valid. <laughs> um, that like that feeling that the film evokes is really just great at to the audience in general, because like I, as an audience member, I don't want to be told like, oh, the way you think is wrong kind of thing even though this film is like totally ambiguous yeah i agree i i i agree with the audience specifically just because like that seems to be the tone they're going for because they don't want to be critical of the audience or make the audience feel otherwise like unhappy you know in a way which you know you can talk about that for economics and just general reasons but um yeah so i think we're we're approaching the hour mark so i think we can start wrapping things up did anybody have things you want to talk about i have i just do one one question about the ambiguity thing what do we think what is, did it happen or was it hallucinatory because on wikipedia it says that the person who played the judge also plays the surgeon really i noticed that too at the end i was like is that the same guy 
Yeah. So the, I, I first, I first thought was like, oh, I'm taking this fucking for literal whatever, like, because like the world you build, like, just let me live in it. But then when I read that, I was like, hmm, it might be a hallucination because the guy who is in charge of the weird heaven world is also in charge of <laughs> the brain surgery of Peter. Yeah. And it's interesting because he comes out he comes out of his like, not coma, but uh, out of surgery. And the first words he says are Frank, Frank, Frank. And it's sort of like, wouldn't your first impression be June, 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 just based off of everything that went on. And it's sort of like, maybe it was in his head the whole time about like sort of like his, imp- his impression of Frank and everybody in there was so real to him that that's sort of what he comes out of thinking. But uh, for me, I personally thought that the, the book sort of sealed it for me as like this was all real and in the end kind of like what spirited away was like if it is that kind of real or not it's like I just want it to be real because like I, I love living in the world of heaven that like if, if it didn't kind of feel that way like I, I kind of it wouldn't feel kind of right to me yeah second that just because of the book it's like yeah that was real <laughs> that had to be real <laughs> I I think for me, it's like, uh, I actually think it's really beautiful to think that it wasn't real because I don't know. I just think of David Niven. We talked about this on the last podcast, like his wife died the year this came out, I think, or maybe the year before, like super tragically. And I just thought about that, particularly when like June goes up the escalator, like in his place. And then he's like, I'll see you sometime. Or maybe she says like, I'll see you you know, in 70 years or whatever. And that just like broke my heart. And I don't know, I think about like June standing there, like watching him in surgery and you're kind of hoping, you know, the person will pull through. I guess just like the things we go through unconsciously, choosing life or death. I just, I think that's really beautiful to like make a whole story around that. Oh yeah, I totally forgot about that scene, but that when she goes onto the conveyor belt and then it like slides away from Peter, that broke my heart. We already mentioned, we already kind of talked about like what if you bought their love story or not. I think that scene in particular really solidifies like, oh, they do love each other. Human connection is beautiful. And then when she runs down the conveyor belt to hug him again, I was like, oh, oh, my heart, (laughs) it has been shattered. (laughs) And like to tell you what you said, like when he wakes up from surgery, he's like, we won. And then she's like, yeah, like you're kind of like placating someone. I think that's cute or like I don't know just the way they treated him Frank and her in his study I don't know they like plied him with medication and like gave him a blanket and a bunch of tea and stuff it just felt like they were kind of humoring him but in a really really nice way it was just it's yeah it's so warm and like like reassuring and comforting and like there's no teasing or anything because the film is so earnest about it yeah but it's like also like I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, but it's also like death is such an absurd topic, like so to give it like that, like reassurance that it's okay to think of that way also mm-hmm. is kind of like also adds on to kind of the earnestness of like, yeah, it's okay to make up all these crazy, if you are like thinking about death, like making up all these weird scenarios, if you subscribe to that, it's a hallucination, you know, it's like, it's okay to make up all these weird scenarios that like, there is a conveyor belt that leads you to heaven and then there's just a guy like making a judgment call and giving allowing appeals for people who are like living like 
what is death exactly? So, I mean, it could be his way of sort of coping with the trauma that if, if you take it that it was all fake, you know, how do you process sort of a miracle? Like, you think about sort of how old myths come about, and it's like these stories are meant to explain the unexplainable, and sort of like that's how you know you could possibly see this film as like um, creating its own mythos in a way of like how you know miracles do happen, how ultimately like how we should learn to to deal with them through love. Anybody else got anything that they wanted to talk about? Cool. All right. So. That will conclude our podcast on a matter of life and death. Uh, for those, yeah, woo, woo, yes, woo. indeed. Piper Natalia is not going to join in. They don't woot. No, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, for those of you that are that are tuning in next week, we'll be watching Black Narcissus. You can find this more available on like most rental streaming services or like. If you subscribe to HBO Max or um, Criterion Channel, those are on there. Or you can be an old school person and go buy a, a DVD <laughs> after driving in a car to go to a physical location and do that. So uh, if you like what you've heard here today or anything before, um, feel free to check out UW Film Club. Um, you can find us on our Instagram at UW Film Club on Twitter and Instagram as well as um, UW Film Club on Facebook. If you use Facebook, I don't know, people sometimes use it. Um, But yeah, Um, and if you wanna check out more podcast episodes, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Other than that, thank you to Cynthia, Piper, Natalia, Joelle for all joining me here today. Great conversation and thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you next week. See you then. (laughs) 